Welcome and thank you for joining us on the Instructor Podcast, where every week we're joined by experts and innovators, leaders and game changers, so we can hold a mirror up at the instructor industry and see where we can improve and raise our standards. So if you're ready, we'll make a start. So welcome to a special bonus edition of the Instructor Podcast, which is going to have very little of me. We're joined by Chris Benson of the DITC, and for this special episode, he is relaying to you the information he got from NASP recently. Had a a good for a Q&A with uh, NASP, and they relayed back a lot of information to him uh, from the questions he sent to them. And initially, we were going to brief it on the normal podcast, but it was a little bit long for that, as you can see by the length of this episode being about 40 minutes. So uh, we decided to do a little bonus episode just for you. Um, Yeah, so hopefully you enjoy this. At the start of the episode, Chris does go into some really interesting details about the history of NASP. At least I found them interesting. Um, So have a listen to that. That, That's uh, stuff I didn't know, which is always good. If you do want to get straight into the uh, sort of the Q&A side of it, sort of go 10, 12 minutes into the podcast and start from there. Hope you enjoy this little bonus one. Um, but we'll be back on Sunday with a regular episode. Hi, this is Chris Benstead from the Driving Instructor and Trainers Collective, the DITC, the signposting point for the driving instructor industry. Today on the Instructor Podcast, we're going to cover who NASP are, for those that aren't aware, and what we've raised with them through the DITC to try and get some answers for you. Um, So, firstly, who are NASP? N-A-S-P, the National Association Strategic Partnership. They are the second incarnation of a strategic group, and they are the tier one associations who liaise with the DVSA. A quick bit of history, NASG included DIDU, who are now AADI, and DIS, uh, who were the driving instructors of Scottish Council. So they were part of the original NASG, and it didn't go very well. There was a bit of a fallout um, it was one of those sitting around the table with different views, feeling that either you needed to draw your line in the sand or be heard as individuals. And I think those were the, the big issues. The other thing was that um, the collectively there was a decision that things in the room would stay in the room. Now, personally, I think that's important when you're able to talk freely in any relationship you need to be able to voice things and then come to a consensus and i think that consensus can then be shared uh what was happening you know the issue that nasg group was was suffering from was that people felt everything in the room should be public on public record so this was under something called the charter house rule which is that you know you you can air things you can you can have those disagreements you can raise your concerns safely as an individual who's sitting on that panel or or that group um 
and that they don't get minuted because then you can have free conversation. And, and that's something I, I agree with personally, but others didn't. So there was a bit of a fallout. Some may remember it. And from the ashes of that, the National Association Strategic Partnership, NASP, um, were born from the flame. NASP includes the ADI-NJC, the, the ADI National Joint Council, the DIA, the Driving Instructor Association, and the MSA, the Motor Schools Association. Um, so those three form collectively NASP, and DVSA have made it very clear at the time, and this is where it came from, that they wanted to have one hub to communicate with the instructor industry uh, for for whatever reasons they they wanted to to mainly be funneling things through there to have collaboration through there and rather than have to deal with everybody separately which is obviously you know takes a certain amount of time and and, and effort is to try and you know, centralize that so the way that nasp works to the best of my understanding i stand to be corrected uh, but the way that nasp works is that the uh, the chair of NASP rotates between the three, um, the three different associations. Uh, you have uh, Lynn Barry at the ADI NJC, Carly Brookfield at the DIA, and Peter Harvey from the MSA. And at the moment, Peter is the chair of NASP. So you can contact NASP through any of those three associations, that's fine. And uh, if you are a member of a national association, you, know, you, you can contact them through there. You can also use your local association. If you're a member of a local association, your local association can contact NASP as well. You don't have to be a member because NASP don't have memberships as, the, as its own body. Um, the people who have the memberships are the uh, are the contributing associations to NASP. So I got in touch with NASP and I asked them some questions. Uh, I had a chat with the DITC members and asked whether there was anything additional to add, uh, to which there were some really good points raised and we added those on. And these are things that we feel with our finger on the, on the industry pulse are in need of being raised, need of being addressed, and we also want to give NASP a better window to express what they're doing, because often they end up speaking for the DVSA, communicating for the DVSA. And I know from, from knowing all three of those names that I've mentioned and others, the hard work that goes into it and how they do fight the corner of instructors, but it's a relationship, so there has to be give and take. And I think most instructors feel that with the DVSA, there's there's you know not necessarily um, much. I don't know if it's give and take, but then whichever one it is, um, I, I, I feel most would feel that we we are we are receiving um, in in the relationship, but we're being told what to do, and actually you know concerns are raised and and the the individual people who work for the DVSA I know from my own experience are incredibly good and do listen and do try and do want to help however I personally feel personal view that the DVSA is kind of that 
the toenail of the dinosaur, if you like, and the the response from it. Unfortunately, because of the political machine it's part of, and the the power or lack of that it has, and the hoops it has to jump through to get one little email sent, means that response can be really challenging, and getting change can be even more so. That's part of what we are setting up for the with the DITC, is a a platform where instructors can have uh, information and independence in what they're doing, which we've got, but we often feel like we don't. And that we can work on maximum standards rather than minimum standards of the DVSA, because that's the DVSA remit, that's not a criticism. They maintain a minimum standard. Do you know what, as, as, a, as a business person, as an ADI, and as someone who, who actually cares about the industry, I don't want to be working to minimum standards, and I don't know many instructors that do. There's a few that I come across, and, and you know, it it seems that they're happy to get by. But I think that often happens in um, one-sided relationships, on avoiding saying the word abusive, um, dominant relationships where where you are not the party with power. That's a better way to word it, possibly. So. In saying that, that's what we want to work against. That's what we're trying to combine and bring in this macro industry. So hence, we're asking these questions. We're doing it in support of NASP, also to hold them to account in some ways for instructors, because otherwise they don't hear from the unconnected. And from a survey that we did during uh, the first COVID lockdown, the membership is probably 25% of the industry, and a number of people are multiple members, including myself. Uh, and to cards on the table, I'm a member of DIA and ADI and JC. I'm a member of DIA. I value their PIPL insurance. Maybe I'll talk about that next week, actually, PIPL insurance. Um, if something you know, eventful doesn't happen, we'll come back to that. And um, and yeah, uh, the ADI and JC membership I, I was paying for, but now I actually get through my uh, my use of my drive time, which is, uh, for those that don't know, a diary, um, finance and, and uh, pupil planning um, app, software, website, a uh, bit of everything. Um, and, you know, that I, I get ADI and JC uh, membership, the basic level through there. Um, I used to be a member of the MSA. I, I feel that you know MSA and DIA they may disagree, but I I feel they offer very similar kind of packages. I only need one lot of the PIPL insurance, and um, this information coming through is is very similar. So um, in in some ways the DIA is more local to me, and uh, we work together a lot on, on various projects. So, you know, those, those are those choices and those available things. We're going to be putting more and more information on the DITC website. So about the associations, we're inviting them as soon as the website's finished being rebuilt by Neil um, so that we've got a much better structure for you guys to work through. Uh, we're, we're going to be you know, asking them to, to give us their sales pitch and then asking them some backup questions some uh, delving questions, hopefully, to, to get some, some uh, real benefits out of them for you. So watch this space. 
So to the questions, the, to the things that we asked, uh, in no particular order, just the order that we raised, um, we asked them for feedback on practical test availability. The voice on the front line is that while DBSA are promising increased capacity, examiner numbers in test centres are at an all-time low. We appreciate, or possibly don't, the epic challenges that are being faced by the DBSA at this time but would like to be assured that there is a strategy being employed. So the response from Peter Harvey on behalf of NASP, I won't do the Scottish accent uh, for want of offending him. Uh, as you know, the DVSA have just had a massive recruitment campaign. They received over 5,000 applications to the initial campaign and are continuing with that process. DVSA have advised us that the, this process of recruitment should produce around 300 additional examiners. One of the main issues in the strategy for DBSA at the moment, even though they are offering overtime to existing examiners, they still have examiner sickness and statutory holidays to deal with. So let's comment on that. Um, they had 5,000 applications and I know quite a number of people that did apply. And I know the ones that were refused who in my totally non-expert opinion, would have made brilliant examiners. Um, 300 additional examiners, I appreciate people have to be paid for. I, I just feel that getting those to the front line is taking a long time. And we're having people fighting over the, um, the, the waiting list and, and the few slots that are available. And that ADIs are being left to, to fight that battle because they're our customers. Um, you know, they don't become a DVSA customer until they've got that slot booked in some ways. So, you know, I, I get it. I really do. The whole situation is horrific. But on our end of things, on the front line, we're not seeing that movement coming through. And in fact, local, local to us, we're going to lose an examiner. Um, there's another one being trained who, again, is an ADI that I know, and, and she's going to be brilliant. I know she is. Um, she's going to be one of those examiners that everybody wants. And, uh, you know, it's going to be a pleasure to have her there, I'm sure. But, yeah, it, it, it's such a challenge. It would just be nice to see some kind of uh, flowchart of how things are progressing, of what's in place. And I appreciate they're offering overtime. What's being taken? Uh, what is the overtime? How, what's the uptake? Where's the actual success story or otherwise that we can see because we get told what's happening and we don't necessarily then know whether it's working. We don't see if it's working out. Um, I'll get off the soapbox. Okay, so the next question point that was raised uh, was regarding theory test booking changes. Now, we mentioned on a previous podcast that the... Um, we mentioned on a previous podcast that the theory booking system is changing. And despite having read it possibly a hundred times, because I keep referring back to it and still don't quite get it, and maybe that's me, they're going from four months to two months, but they're offering more in each day, which is being delivered as, explained as an, an increase, but it's an increase inside of a 50% window I don't quite get how that is a better offering. And I appreciate it might be a technical issue and that the system's being changed. 
it might just come down to that and actually it's a bit of a 50-50 thing and that it will be a benefit but I don't get it so I've spoken to other ADIs and they don't get it either so I don't feel I'm alone so what we raised was theory test booking changes the general consensus from ADIs seems to be that despite communication we don't understand it comes across that while daily capacity is being increased the new system is halving the ability to future book tests can nasp or dvsa explain not only the dates but how this reduction in length of availability is going to reduce waiting lists the response from nasp dvsa reported that waiting times for theory tests in england has now come down on an average 3.1 weeks and in wales 1.1 week and scotland 16 weeks DVSA say that this has been flagged with Transport Scotland and capacity would be added as soon as they were able. However, social distancing remains at two metres in Scotland. The situation is very difficult. The changes to the new booking system in July should make it easier to forecast demand and consequently make life much easier for instructors and their candidates alike. So just referring back to those waiting times, I just got off the phone from a parent and people who are trying to book a theory test. And they are quoting that local, local to us, and that covers four, I think, test centres that they were looking at, theory test centres, which are you know, within reasonable reach, still a, a travel, but reasonable reach. Um, they're saying it's, it's September. They're saying it's September. So I, that doesn't fit with the average, and I appreciate it's a national average, but the average of 3.1 weeks, um, you know, that, that's a fair bit more. Now, when someone fails, if they've got to wait that period of time, you know, I know, I know from personal experience that that seriously puts them at a, a disadvantage for, for managing success, especially the people that I'm dealing with, with specific needs of ADHD, dyslexia, dyspraxia, autism. Um, you know, I... I've got pupils that I really feel for because they are working their backsides off and they're trying to achieve and they're driving. I know the, the instructors that are out on the road training them, they're driving spot on really is good, but they're struggling with the theory as we know. So that's something you know that's passionate to me and I want to get changed. But these, you know, these waiting times, I, I would love to see the regional figures because they don't match where I am. And this change, while it might help them forecast demand, you know, are they actually managing to forecast demand that hasn't managed to book yet because they can't get anything until three, four months' time? Um, I'm not sure those figures are all in there. Um, you know, lies down, lies in statistics, isn't it? It's uh, just the figures can be made to show something i don't know if that's representing what's actually out there um yeah i think it's a concern so we'll see if we can follow that up as things progress problem solving adis have been clearly told that they are part of the solution or problem in making sure that only test ready candidates are coming to the test center 
Sadly, many pupils and parents are seeing the six-month wait and taking the just-give-it-a-go approach. Pressure is on the instructors to comply and their reputations are being threatened. If they don't take the pupil and the pupil passes in their own car or similar, it is being used as proof that the instructor didn't know what they were talking about. Does NASP and or the DVSA have any guidance on this? Should ADIs be informing the local test centre if they feel a pupil is a risk and still coming for test in their own car or with a last minute instructor? NASP say, DBSA are aware of this issue and intend to do a customer insight survey with ADIs to help them assess customer demands. However, we would still encourage instructors to stand firm and don't take people for their test that shouldn't be there and let the examiner deal with whatever the general public decide to do. Some will of course slip through the net as has been the case forever once the DBSA get back to seven tests a day across the country and waiting lists start to subside to reasonable levels, I'm sure things will get better. I would like to ask Peter when he thinks that will be, because you know, my feeling is we're, look, we're in this for a, a fairly long term because to, uh, demand is, is dramatically outweighing capacity. Um, I'm not expecting him to be able to do anything about it. I'm just interested in what figure he would put on that. Uh, 18 months, two years doesn't seem enough in some ways, but I, I hate to say it might be longer. Maybe the 300 driving examiners that are coming on board are going to help pick up some of that slack. But uh, equally, I think we're losing a few along the way as well. So from that, I take the view we don't need to be communicating with our colleagues at the local DVSA uh, test centres. And, and you know we just have to do our jobs I think a lot of instructors find that incredibly difficult. You know, we, we we care. We feel a sense of professional responsibility. We value our relationship with the uh, examiners. And, you know, it, it, it doesn't sit comfortably. Um, I'm not quite sure how a customer insight surve survey with ADIs is going to necessarily resolve those issues. And, you know... I think a sterner approach when people are booking tests. Personally, I'd like to see there have to be a a certificate from an ADI saying, yes, you're ready, um, which I know will get abused, but putting another layer in there would help. But you know, these things are beyond me, and beyond us. So that is why we are hoping to bring in some maximum standards that we can support ourselves instead of relying on, on government channels to, to bring something in. So we've got a few more to get through, so I'll, I'll stop, uh, stop soapboxing. Problem raising. What is the official channel for an ADI trying to resolve an issue? Do we use PADI uh, or customer services, PADI being the uh, ADI department at the DBSA, ADIs are feeling very isolated in this regard. Could NASP and or DVSA provide an infographic of which channels are available and when they can be used? This should include local and national associations, LDTMs, test centre managers, and local test centres. I then included um, a couple of examples that I had received that day, which I won't put on the podcast, 
but um, you know, of a situation where instructors felt that they should be highlighting something, bringing things to attention, um, and safeguarding their pupils and and the wider learner community. We want the ability to help achieve maximum standards in our industry. The reply was, the DBSA have not provided an updated list of test centre managers or regional officers as they are displayed in each local test centre, if they are open. However, for concerns regarding ADI or PDI matters, PADI, uh, which is P-A-D-I at dbsa.gov.uk is best, or 0300 200 1122 between 8am and 4pm. When the voicemail comes on, dial 25 to be connected to someone who can deal with an instructor issue, not for the general public. For more general inquiries, like changing tests, etc., use customer services, customer services, all is one word, no spaces, at dvsa.gov.uk. If it is a complaint about a driving instructor or school, use instructor conduct, instructor conduct, one word, no spaces, at dvsa.gov.uk. And if an instructor would like a copy of their crystal report emailed to them, the crystal report is your um, your fault report from when you've taken tests that have been recorded against your ADI number. So um, I, I've only just found out it's called a crystal report. I yeah, learn something every day, don't you? Um, I, I've had them through before, but I've never never known it's called that. So there's one for your for your glossaries, crystal report. Uh, so we can all speak the same language, which would be lovely. Um, so to get hold of that, and I recommend every instructor once a year sends an email through. Um, I think June. Off the top of my head is is roughly the, the time at which they renew that. The ones from last year probably weren't particularly great. Um, but they will send you send it through and, and it's well worth having a look at. It can really highlight some areas that you might not have noticed where there's uh, a consistent level of faults. It might be that your Bay Park is weak um, or you know shows up as being weak on the test. It's not the be-all and end-all, but it's a really useful um, you know, information guide, a report guide. So you can email for your crystal report on OMI, Oscar Mama India, at dvsa.gov.uk. OMI at dvsa.gov.uk. I'll give Terry all of these to pop into the notes. Uh, they will also be available on the DITC uh, website, so feel free to, to go there and you'll be able to just click on them and, uh, and request your report. So, um, that's great. We've, we've got four different channels that have been more clearly outlined than most ADIs are aware of. What I would like to see is that when people sign up to the register that we're given them in a terms and conditions kind of approach of going, you know, if you have a problem, this is how you can raise it. Um, it'd be nice to have a, you know, kind of a, a how do you think we're doing approach so that there is two-way communication and, and, and feedback. And one of the things at the moment that I've raised a number of times is when you're trying to do your DBS, that the company that's being used and the process being used, which has recently changed, but I don't think has got better, um, 
either doesn't reply to the initial inquiry or um, they ask you for information that they could have asked you in the first place if there'd been a, a, a landing site, landing page and, and a form. Those kind of things, it would be nice if we could have a channel to, to raise those points to say, this is where we're having a problem, please can we try and ease that problem because then it makes everybody's life better and easier. The amount of time and effort that must be wasted, but it's a government machine, isn't it? I've experienced lots of them and you know, as long as it's moving forwards, it doesn't matter how quickly. Um, there's no disrespect to those that work for it at all. Um, I, you know, I have the, the pleasure of, of having acquaintances throughout the system and respect to them. Uh, I think they do individually a cracking job. It's just the process that's so frustratingly slow. Intensive providers. We are hearing increasing stories of let down customers that have paid money to intensive providers and then been let down as they cannot find any instructors to deliver that training. Often last minute, I had one the other day that was let down on the Friday, was ready to start on the Monday. Is this an opportunity for DVSA and or NASP to address this model and its professionalism inside of the industry? Intensives are not necessarily a bad thing, but undeliverable promises damage all ADIs, leaving others to clear up the mess. The response was, this is not an issue we have been made aware of. However, we will take it up with the DVSA to see if they have had any complaints. I think the problem is that they are corporate complaints. They're complaints about the business and they are not complaints about an ADI. An intensive provider isn't an ADI necessarily. It is a company that is not overseen and licensed by the DVSA. So I know what the response is likely to be, but maybe something should change. Maybe there needs to be a move towards driving schools, driver, driving training providers, companies, having some kind of badge or oversight. And, and that's you know, something to look at. So, you know, thank you to NASP for, for taking that forward and raising it. And, and we look forward to hearing more. Uh, I'm amazed that it hasn't been raised previously, but this leads me back to the problem raising point. Sometimes people don't know how to, and it's not made easy. Um, we haven't all got time to sit writing lengthy emails. Um, so let's watch this space and, and possibly uh, one for the DITC list of something that we can try and push the maximum standards on. Standards checks and audit inspections. On top of the already immense pressure, some ADIs are awaiting standards checks or audit inspections. Can they receive clarity on when these are likely to recommence and what notice period they are likely to receive when they get one? Many want to work with a trainer to achieve an optimum result, but are worried that they will be unable to schedule this. The response from NASP. DBSA has stated that the standards check won't take priority in the early stages of starting back after the most recent lockdown to allow as many examiners as possible to be free to cover L tests wherever possible. The agreed notice has usually been at least four weeks with the new style engagement call from the enforcement officer about a week before the standards check to discuss the setting on the day. We understand DVSA will be writing to every instructor in the near future to confirm how and when these tests will restart. So 
I know that this might be a little bit different when it comes to instructors that have failed a previous standards check and are waiting. So that is something that uh, just for you to keep in mind if that applies to you. Um, you know, and, and it'll be interesting to see what the DBSA say once that comes through. So again, watch this space, we will bring it to you and make sure that you hear. Uh, more importantly, make sure you signed up to the NASB mail and you get it from the horse's mouth, um, which is great. We just want to, uh, what I refer to as re-sneezing. If anyone hasn't read the uh, Seth Godin um, Purple Cow book, well worth a read for looking at how to promote your business, especially in our industry. Really valid and, uh, and relevant. Uh, so we, we want to be re-sneezers. We want to get the information that's coming from other people and make sure you're hearing it in case you missed it the first time. Re-sneezing is a whole new thing with COVID, doesn't it? Re-coughing. Re anyway, cancellation apps and test booking services. There are increasing complaints about companies mass booking tests, some of whom are then touting these at three times the face value. Could DVSA comment on this practice and what, if anything, they are doing about it? Due to the lack of test availability, ADIs are having to rely on cancellation checkers, which are a double-edged sword at best. So this is far from a simple situation. Additionally, ADIs are frustrated at not understanding how companies can mass book tests. Is this possible without using pupils' details? If not, what can be done to prevent this? The response from NASP. NASP complained about the use of third-party booking sites that appeared to be able to find and book tests before instructors and the general public, as this is putting an unnecessary strain on instructors and causing many candidates to accept a test with no consultation with their instructor, and consequently accepting the test in their own car with very little professional training and urge DVSA to implement measures to stop this happening. DVSA are aware of this and discussions were ongoing with the DVSA's firewall supplier to introduce new rules to challenge these sites and stated that there is a, gra is a gradual reduction and stated that there is a gradual reduction in the level of searches people can make without impacting normal bookings. Companies are consistently finding ways around any blocks that we implement to get tests. DVSA also pointed out that some instructors may be misusing, and if that was found to be true, the registrar could take some action. NASP requested the DVSA issue communications to explain the situation to instructors. It is not possible to mass book tests unless you have the details, including driver numbers of the candidates, which they give freely to these agencies when they pay them for the services to find them a test. I appreciate that answer, and uh, I know it's a really complicated thing. I've spoken to DVSA myself in the past. Um, there are some techniques which I'm not going to mention um, because more people that know about them means more people use them, uh, where they can really easily abuse the system. It, it's difficult. However, you know we're hearing of, of intensive companies particularly that are saying we've got 20 tests allocated to us. Uh, who would like them? And that smacks of something that's being done you know, outside the, the fair use policy, at the very least. So as well as these questions, we've said that we would like to know the number of no-shows. Addressing this could help reduce the abuse of the system. 
the response to that was we have asked for this information and will circulate when available. So we'll be watching that for that one. Um, the number of private runners prevented to test. And the reason for that was twofold. If failing, they may be a symptom of those refused by or unable to employ an ADI. However, many are encouraging test-ready candidates to use their own car to allow for greater flexibility. What we'd like to see is the ability to claim these, um, these tests so that they can uh, be reflected on what we now know is called the crystal report. Um, and uh, you know, we can share in their success uh, on, on our, our stats, should we want to, down to the individual ADI. Their response was, the instructor would just need to put their certificate in the window when the candidate goes out in their own car, assuming they are with them. However, this could also be twofold if the candidates fail to pass. The point is that the ADI may well not be with them if they have their own vehicle, because that's where the flexibility comes from. The ADI doesn't need to find space in their diary. So, you know, it would just be an interesting figure to look at and see what we can extrapolate from. Is it going to change the world? No, but one of my big gripes in this industry is that we don't have the um, the capacity of, of data to then defend ourselves or highlight the, the work that we do. So it would be one of those sets of stats that would be a useful figure to make sure that we are correctly uh, representing other information. Finally, vocational testing. Just to clarify, that is um, particularly B plus E we were talking about, but also the um, you know the, the other categories that come under the vocational slots. Smaller providers are being penalised with zero allocations, while others still have the ability to book five to six tests per week. And just to note, those tests don't have to be necessarily allocated to an individual. Um, that can be done nearer to the time, uh, depending on the category. So, you know, there, there is a real benefit as a business to being able to have those slots. And people are being forced into booking them to keep their allocation, even if they're not necessarily going to need them, um, and then hope that they get allocated at a later date, which just doesn't seem to make sense. The bigger company allocations are still at the previous level, despite not presenting test candidates for 18 months. This does not appear to provide an even playing field for independent instructors, who are often the ones trying to grow or better themselves. What can be done? What complaints procedure could be put in place for the ADIs? As they are usually met with computer says no responses. NASP raised a complaint about the allocation of B plus E tests and asked if it was an individual case or more general. It appeared that smaller trainers had a perception that they are being overlooked in favour of larger companies for tests. DBSA replied that allocations get spread amongst trainers and that currently demand is very high with B plus E competing with other vocational tests. And as the tests increase, it should help ease the situation that the trainer booking system sends requests to DVSA. If there is a complaint, the best place to start is customer services at dvsa.co.uk. Having been through that process, um, computer says no, uh, is, is very often the response, trying to get an allocation because they haven't got any. 
It's like someone asking for an L test when they haven't got any gaps. I get that. It just feels biased towards those large companies because they, they have more capacity. Um, I think if we could get rid of zero, and this isn't tests, this is the ability to book a test. If there are no slots there, you can't book it anyway, whoever you are. But if everybody could have one as a minimum rather than zero, the zero feels very unfair. So I appreciate that's not necessarily relevant to those of you that work with learners or, or other drivers in, in the Cat B um, area. But yeah, it it's definitely indicative of problems inside of the booking system. Um, just to clarify that NASP were happy to um, to share and you know, we, we've said the same to them. So that they've said that the best place to get access to NASP information is via their website n-a-s-p.co.uk so there is a contact us button on there which can be used and you can then uh, raise any concerns that you have if you want us to raise concerns through them um, and develop that communication channel we're happy to do so um, go to the ditc.co.uk send it into the instructor podcast and Terry will happily forward things on to, on to ourselves and we'll make sure that things are being raised if you think it's just a one-off let's know because if it's a number of you saying it's a one-off it's not a one-off and I think this is the lack of connectivity in the industry we often think it's it's just something we're dealing with and it's not thank you we will keep you in touch we will keep you informed via the instructor podcast and via the DITC website and one last thing, we promised that the Young Driver Focus report would be converted into an audio format, um, which we've started to do. So if you would like to check out uh, the DITC podcast, um, that's, that's what we're doing exclusively on there, the, um, the audio versions of, of the, the report uh, to allow you to have a listen. And the, the ones that we've read through so far, uh, slowly being released, have um, been really interesting and, and a nice way to keep in touch with what's happening out there. So recommend that you have a look. And again, I'm sure the Instructor Podcast will make sure those details are available. Uh, thank you very much. Stay safe and uh, we'll speak to you again soon. So thank you for listening today. If you've enjoyed this podcast, make sure you click subscribe wherever you're listening so that the next one will drop straight into your podcast feed. If you want to get in touch with the show, head over at tcdrive.co.uk. You can get in touch with me by any method over there. And remember, let's just keep raising standards and stay safe.